Welcome to the Evo GK Podcast. Evo GK Podcast. What a save! We bring you the highs and the lows and lessons learned as we talk everything goalkeeping with some of the best in the business. For your ultimate goalkeeping fix, this is the podcast for you. With your hosts, James Howarth and Dominic Bilet. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Evo GK podcast. We're joined today by the guru himself. But before we dive right into that, Dominic, how are we? James, brilliant, my friend. Like you say, first ever Evo GK podcast. And what a way to start it off with a guest like Eric Steele. I mean, there's so many questions I was thinking that we could ask this, this, this legend on his time, especially at Manchester United. Um, I can't imagine the stories he's got. Hello to everyone at home. Hope you are well. Hope you are safe. I know everyone is missing the football right now. Um, but hopefully this is a good way to get your goalkeeping fix from Eric Steele. Absolutely. And for those of you at home who doesn't know who Eric is, Eric spent a lot of his time at Manchester United working under one of the best managers within world football, along with some of the best goalkeepers in the world, such as Peter Schmeichel, Edwin van der Sar and David De Gea. As well, as many of you may not already know, Eric is also the ambassador for us here at Evo GK. And we're very, very excited to announce Eric will be leading our biggest double header coaching day yet in July 20th and 21st. So the biggest double header will come on then. Sell it, sell it to me. Who, who, yeah. What's the lineup? Well, if you've been a new, big Newcastle fan, I think you'll know this name already Carl Darlow. Yeah, yeah, wow. Brilliant. Yeah, so. Carl's going to come in and guest. We've also got Ainsley Pears, first-team goalkeeper for Middlesbrough, and also Danny Coyne, who's the first-team goalkeeping coach at Middlesbrough. And on the other side of the coin, we've also got the head of goalkeeping for Manchester City women's team, Chris Williams. So if you haven't registered already, register today via our social media channels. But without further ado, Dom, let's dive straight in. Definitely. Let's go. Steely, how are we keeping? We're good. Summer is here in the Midlands. We're ready for anything they want to throw at us. Brilliant. Though, well, let's dive straight into the questions. You know, Eric, you've worked with some of the best goalkeepers in the game. What traits did they show that separate them from other goalkeepers? And as a coach, how did you challenge and develop them? Um, part of the challenge for me was you had to be prepared as a coach. That the one thing I did is, and the word always comes out about experience, is when I think how I started. Um, I started Derby County with people like Lee Grant, Lee Camp, Mark Poon, uh, Russell Holt. Um, and that really was my introduction when I worked alongside Steve McLaren for the first time. And that really, because we had a psych working with us, we were always prepared. And that was part of my learning curve was fantastic for them four years, five years I was there full time. And that really set me, give me the base as a coach um, to say, right, how are you going to do this? So part of obviously getting to know your your goalkeepers is you have to understand what their personality, what their strengths and weaknesses are. So you as a coach, me as a coach, I had to actually, from the onset, say, right, now how am I going to tackle this? They're all different animals in terms of physically, mentally. So I had to really go away and develop myself as a coach before I could really help the other goalkeepers to develop themselves. Mm-hmm. And they all, they all are. There's, there's a crossover. Um, when you get to, you know, some are very, if I think of people like Peter Schmeichel, totally self-aware. He was, he knew exactly what he could do 
both playing in goal and also what he would do for the team. You had introverts, extroverts. You had people that were very much for the team. So I had to get to you. You have to get to know these. So that's why I keep saying to a lot of the coaches when I deal with you guys at GK Evolution is to say, you as coaches have to look and learn and develop. Because unless you develop, you're going to find it very hard when all of a sudden there's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, I would say to the coaches, make sure you're best prepared. Then that will give you the base. So I was so pleased that by the time I got to Aston Villa in 2001, I'd had four, four years, five years working full time. Then I could deal with a great man, Schmeichel. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Peter, thank goodness I'd done that groundwork. Um, and I always believe the reason why I got on so well with Peter, and I might have done this before, but it's interesting for your coaches. So I know we're going to look at helping the kids as well as the coaches. This was the one for the coaches. If you're in any doubt, when you start a conversation with a new goalkeeper, whatever age, the one thing I learned was you ask him, what do you, what do you think you need? Mm-hmm. And ultimately... They sort of like step back and go, wow. But because if you want them to buy into the development, it should be a two-way street. Yeah. And that's really what happened with me. And that was the best thing I ever did. Because when I think where I ended up, if I hadn't have gone through that at Derby, at Villa, then I went to Man City, where again, you pick up and you work with top people, Joe Hart, Kasper Schmeichel, top managers, Sven. I was picking up, my learning was just, I was the sponge and I was sucking everything in. So when I got to Man United in 2008, boy, oh boy, I felt total excitement, nerves. No, I was ready. Now, you have to do that as a coach because otherwise, if you don't understand and get to understand what they want, you've got no chance of helping develop your goalkeepers, whatever age they are. Yeah. What, what, was, what was it like working with Peter? Obviously, you know, a, a huge personality. Um, and obviously, I know you spent a fair bit of time with him at Aston Villa and, and stuff like that. But what was he like as a man and obviously as a goalkeeper well obviously for me it was and most people have done it we've had all the different all the different presentations I've done over the last 10 years um, then I was so lucky that I was able to go and compare Man United greats with Edwin with David and obviously with um, with Peter um, he has to be up there as one of the best he's been voted now the best of all time and you can see why um, I would have liked to work with him when he was younger what I would say is he had just this and they all have this inbuilt winning mentality, winning attitude. Mm-hmm. And where I think Peter got um, misinterpreted is we all tend to want to think about when he starts the hands going and he's having a go and he makes a save and it's the defender's fault they've allowed the cross to come in or it's Paul Parker always made a point. And I've, I think I've shown it to the kids when I came up last year. He makes a save low down with his left-hand side Old Trafford and Paul Parker's allowed the, the winger to come inside. And he's made this unbelievable save, big one hand down there. And Paul Parker, got, he got twisted this way or that way. It was his fault. Now, in the end, Steve Bruce, being a good northerner, a big Geordie, he used to turn and say, get on with it. That's your job. <laughs> but Peter had this. But what people didn't realise was he did everything within his performance for the team. Mm-hmm. He made stuff that you would never see. He made people, defenders, when I was at Aston Villa, he made defenders, 10 minutes before he we went out, they, he lifted them up. And it was fantastic to see. Edwin van der Sar did the same in a very quiet way. Mm-hmm. Peter would go around and give detail. And he was so totally focused. He was a different animal. Mm-hmm. On match day, oh my God, he was only, all he wanted to do, tunnel vision, get on the field, everything he could do to win. His performance would help the team win. Through the week, a lot more relaxed. You could have more of a chat in a minute. So that was me again learning mm-hmm. how to deal with Peter. Yeah. Um, 
So when I come up and we do a Q&A with coaches and kids, remind me to tell you the story of my first warm-up. This, I was just about to mention that one. Yeah, that's Brilliant. the one that really stands out for me. Go on, man. Brilliant. Um, when, he, when, you, when you had a row of footballs and obviously you were crossing in, you were talking about obviously, <laughs> you don't, he, was, he was asking you to put it in between the six-yard box. Was it the penalty, penalty area? Am I right? Uh, sorry, yeah, the six-yard box in the penalty area. Yeah. And uh, you were saying that obviously, you know, I need Ryan Giggs out here, and, you know, not me to put obviously this in. And you got a couple right. And then obviously after that, you, you know, you, you kind of put one a little bit too far over the top and then you're ready to get another football. And obviously it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely Danish crackers. Um, and he said, what are you doing? The same ball. And I'm looking and the same ball is right across the other side of White Hart Lane. And I've got to go and get it. Brilliant. So I was, people never realised that. Good job I had friends in football, James, Dominic, mm-hmm. because um, I then... Every away ground we went to, I used to prime ball boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to get, now they'd turn around and go, I would say, look, the buy-in is, you're going to help me do the warm-up with Peter Schmeichel. And the kids would be like, oh, yeah. yeah. And all it was was the fact that if I did miss kick or it went beyond, the ball boys were under instructions, boom. So all the coaches I knew, I was having to ring him up on a Thursday. And they said, well, if, he doesn't, if you don't get him that, does that upset him? I said, oh, yeah. So, of course, they must have been thinking, I'll tell you what, we'll tell the ball boys not to do it. But I just, John Gregory was the manager and he, I always remember, I looked over at the halfway line when I put this ball and I saw, and I, I ran over to get the ball, got back, I put the next one in okay, then I did it again, the next <laughs> ball. And when I'm jogging over, John Gregory is literally, you know when people's shoulders are going up, <laughs> eating, cracking up. And all of a sudden the player, I remember Dion Dublin turned around and said to me, he says, Steelage, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm getting the ball for the great man. He says, you're doing what? You couldn't believe it. And that was, but that was, and that was me having spent six weeks with him. He wouldn't tell me what his warm-up was. Right. And his warm-up was unbelievable, what, he had, what we had to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's what the top people demand. Edwin van der Sar, people, people believe that um, the greats just turn up come Saturday. No, they don't. They prepare like anybody else. And it has to be right. Edwin van der Sar, it was the most important time for me in terms of serving when I had the warm-up with Edwin. Mm-hmm. And it was, and he wanted to, he wanted like hard volleys just to his right-hand side, three. Hard volleys just to his left. He was a bit less vociferous if I got it wrong, but he was, uh, but he was demanding. And I felt no problem at all. Yeah, was, was he like... Sorry, Steely, was, it, was he like that daily? Was that, or was that just the warm-up or was it, you know, every single just, day? With him? I think I've done presentations on this, the importance of the warm-up. Some goalkeepers, um, David De Gea, David could do, it wouldn't bother him. And I've seen it since I left. He's been with four or five different coaches. And I got the stage I looked, I went to watch him play about four years after I'd gone. And I'd had the first two years with him and I couldn't believe he was virtually doing very little. And yet... There's no way that would have happened with Edwin van der Sar, with Peter. Uh, they knew what they wanted on the day. No, uh, do, do you think that sort of looks at the mentality of, of professionals at that level, where they're that detailed with everything? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's where Peter was, for me, it was wrong. He was a great, and he kept a magnificent goal. But if you actually, he didn't want to know certain things in terms of detail. If I tried to tell him where the penalty takers would put it, oh my word, he would just tell me to go, get away. Don't want to know. John Gregory's last words used to have the armband 
for the captain. And he started out here. And as he's unwind, he'd go, clean sheet. Come on, clean sheet. Peter hated that. That was a given to him. Yeah. He didn't need reminding. Clean sheet, that was a given. Mm-hmm. And he used to like stare at the manager. And I went, hey. <laughs> um, but that's what you're dealing with. And that's if you're dealing with the top people. And I'm going back to your original question. This is where you have to prepare yourself as a coach. So I did. I deliberately read books on psych. I did. And the thing that made me as a coach um, a better listener. Because that's what I hadn't. I didn't listen enough. So it's not going to ask a question. If you're just asking a question for the sake of it, no. What you have to do is you're going to ask a question. You're asking a question for a reason. And the people that you're asking have to understand that. Yeah. So there's ways. Of, and I had to learn that. And I, that's how I've been so lucky that when I work with them, that's, that's really why I had prepared myself for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I'm just going to keep on the Man United topic. Um, you know, obviously, James mentioned Sir Michael there, and you've mentioned quite a few names there. Um, I was just interested in know because obviously a name that sticks out to most people is Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, I, I just would like to know what it was like working with him uh, as a goalkeeper coach and as well. Do you have any particular stories that you could share with us that sort of stick out from your time with him? Well, the one thing about when, when I obviously went to work there in 2008 and I had the most magnificent five years. And when people, to reverse answer to your question, people said to me when I'd left, they said, what do you miss most? There's two main things I miss most. Obviously, you're going to miss the staff. There were some great staff when I was there, the goalkeepers I brought through, the young boys, everything else. But the two things I missed was Champions League night, that walkout at Old Trafford when that music went. Oh, tingle time. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And also, I missed him because he wasn't, he wasn't just a manager. He was, the man, he was like the matriarch of Man United. He actually set the standards. And just to be in his company... And it mightn't be to do with football. He was such a well-read man. He could, he could hold conversations with anybody. We'd go to hotels on a Friday night and he'd have guests come in and there might be a politician. It would be Labour, of course, not Conservative. But he would, and he would hold conversations with Gordon Brown, whatever. Um, and that was what he, he was a man of the people. And he could very, very easily put you at ease. And the one thing he, he always did was he would give you the opportunity... So that if you put me in as the goalkeeping coach, he gave you, off you go with your job. I've delegated, that is your job, your department, get on with it. The only time I'm going to bring you in here is if you're not doing it. And by the way, if you're in here twice, you're out the door. Yeah. Oh, such as the standards of Man United. Yeah. So when I went in, I mean, I just, my first, my first six weeks were like roller coaster, And I had to deal with some rubbish players. You know, we had people like Ronaldo, Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> Skulls, Giggs, Ferdinand, Vidic. I was doing back four work after about eight weeks with Patrice Evra, Gary Neville, Vidic, Ferdinand. And I'm going, I'm going to keep going. What's this good Geordie lad? What am I doing here? And it was just, and it was hard work. You, 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 you don't get anywhere without. And that was a given. That was the one thing Sir Alex used to say to the staff and to the teammates. It's, he shouldn't have to tell us that. That's a given. From where he was from, where I'm from, where you guys are from, it's a given that you have to work hard. But he'd give you that delegation to say, that's your department, boom. And he didn't want people around him, that if you turn around and said to him, I don't agree with that, you had to make sure that you had an opinion. It wasn't enough just to say, I don't agree with that. Or if you agreed, he'd want to know, go on, then why? Um, 
and I, I kept I kept a diary which stays confidential, but I kept a diary, which is why I said a lot of the coaches, you should keep diaries. I kept a diary of um, phrases, words he said in team meetings, last thing he might say on the way out, um, half time. Um, and you only have to just see how many players have left and they've left on not supposedly the, the best terms, but boy, oh boy, where did they go back to eventually? Yap, stam, left, boom, what do you do? He goes back. Kanchelskis, why do you, why they sell Kanchelskis? Why do they sell Mark Hughes? You know, he made major big decisions. And he was the reason, when you look at it, that he built a football club back from where Matt Busby wanted it. And he had a tough two years. Yeah. And all his background helped him. Um, and he was, he, was a, he was a funny man. He was really, really funny. And he used to, I mean, honestly, he used to um, share his family, which was part of it. His grandkids would come in at half term. We'd have them. Um, and then you would, part of the corridor at Old Trafford, uh, sorry, at the training ground, was all the pictures of the greats. I tell you, it's a good job in a long corridor because when you saw it, you saw the pictures. And I did say to him one day, I said, you've got people like Brian Robson there and Steve Bruce there and there's other players. Like, how do you manage to make your mind up? Yeah. And he went, people nearest the door, they were the people. Brian Robson, best captain I ever had. Him and Brian Robson just, and he always said, best leader I ever had on the field. Um, and that's why a lot of the players still go back. They still go back and they're welcomed and everything else. I think that's the report. And I think that's a winning formula is who sets the standards in a football club? Who sets the standards in your business? You have to do it. My business, I have to do it. And he did that. And for him to do it for as long as he did, that's the, the longevity of how he did it. And a fierce passion for work. Um, he'd be in the training room, half six, towel around, he'd been swimming or he'd been on the bike. So I'd be coming in quarter seven, I think I'll be in first. He'd be in there half an hour. Yeah, it's amazing. So he'd, he'd actually, he would clear everything ready. Mm -hmm. So that his priority was the players. So he got everything done by nine o'clock ready for the players coming in. Yeah. So if somebody needed to see him on whatever, he was there. Yeah, and, and I, sorry, just go on, Dom. You, sorry, Eric, you, you touched on there. Um, saying, uh, you know, you made the players feel, feel like... I've heard a lot of interviews such as Cristiano Ronaldo say he was like he was like a footballer's dad sort of thing. Was that apparent in the dressing room? Did, did everyone sort of look up to him and yeah. need him as, as a sort of father? Well, you would because ultimately, I think like he said, you know, I, I once asked him, I said, why do you never have a psychologist? Why do we need a psychologist? I am now at my age, sitting in the 70s, I've dealt with every situation. I've got eight, nine grandkids at the time then, sons. You know, he says, there's nothing much I haven't been through and experienced, and people know I'm here. People knew they could knock on my door. Um, and we never knew a lot of that. We'd never know within the staff, Rennie Mullenstein, McField, that we'll have a problem with the player, don't we? And they'd have gone to see him. He would keep that. That would stay between him and Sir Alex. Yeah. And it would like to be a gentleman. Don't worry. I've spoken to Nanny. He'll be fine. Or I've spoken to Anderson. He'll be fine. Yeah. Why did you do that? And that was the, the detail that he had. Um, so that's, you know, there'd, there'd be certain times you'd get a phone call, um, be in tomorrow morning, half six, bring your pen and paper, no laptop, no iPad, bring your brain. That was his <laughs> favorite, bring your brain, pen and paper. And it was, he would literally, this is us in March, April, where we're virtually, we've just won the car and cut. We've got the run into the league. He's already thinking about next season. And that was it, bring your pen, bring your paper and bring your brain. I thought, yeah. I like that. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> I think what I think what was really apparent as well, Steely, is 
you know, so many of them players that, you know, worked under Serlix went, went on to have, you know, whether coaching careers, you know, managerial careers, you know, Steve Bruce, Brian Robson, Roy Keane, all of yeah. these guys, you know, all, you know, had fairly successful in their own way, you know, careers away from football in them roles. Do you think, obviously, he was a big part of that while, obviously, while they were playing for them to then step in and do that after their careers? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think if you've spent time with that fella, I had five years, you know, Brian Robson had longer, Steve Bruce, I spoke to some, I spoke with different times. They're still calling gaffer. That's, for me, is the biggest, pre- we go back now, if you call him Sir Alex, he goes crackers, what are you doing? <laughs> I still ring him now, he's on my phone as gaffer, and that's the way he was, that's the way he always has been. Um, obviously, you respect him, you respect everything he's done in the game, and then, crikey me, when we nearly lost him two years ago, you only had to see the reaction from people around the world. Um, and that's really what he's become. He's an icon. You know, I was there at the unveiling of the statue. I was there when they named the stand after him. I mean, you're standing there and you're an iconic moment, James. Yeah. You actually stand on the pitch and he's all of a sudden didn't know anything about it. Walks on and David Gill says, there you go. Yeah. And we walked around and he knew then the statue was being put. You know, that when people get that sort of acknowledgement, you realise you are really... And I never, ever ever took for granted when I was at Man United. It was a privilege every day to go in. And it does help when you're winning. Yeah, and we absolutely. did. We did. That's all we, for five years I was there, you just kept finals, winning, Premier League, World Club Championships, turnover of players. You know, it was, I do it on, we will get to a conference next year, is that um, I'll present and just want to, I, I was asked on certain goalkeepers at Man United, and I give my opinion on what I felt were the differences between Michael, Van der Sar, and uh, David. And then what I thought was, it'd be nice if I um, could go and interview the gaffer and he could give his manager's appraisal of the three. And you'll see that. That's on the actual um, presentation. Um, and it's, it's fascinating when you see uh, how he reacts and, in the end, what he actually thought. But it, it, it's the fact that the detail of what the man goes into. And you can see then why he didn't need a psych. He was ahead of the game. He was ahead of the game all the time. Yeah. And he never, ever... And one of the things he used to say was, you lose a game at Man United, you go win the next one. Mm-hmm. And it's, he's done this on Sky as well. If you win a game, you go win the next one. And that's what they're getting back to now under Oli. Oli's, you know, had to rebuild the structure in terms of the actual... Um, the mood in and around the training ground, the stadium, you know, they're getting it back how it was. They'd lost that under previous managers. And Ollie's gone back in, and all of a sudden, it's starting to feel like you walked in the training ground and it was, everybody's got that smile on their face again. And that before Corona, they're shaking hands, and it was, people were acknowledged. And that's really what it's about. You're creating this atmosphere. And that's where your, your main work's done. And he was there every day. He very rarely missed a day. And he'd come out. You know, and he was he was a major, major part. He didn't take training, but he was there every day. And boy, would he be watching. Yeah. And he might just, again, have an opinion on certain things going on. So, yeah, I mean, I've, like I said, the, the book I've got, I still quote some of the stuff. It's brilliant. Um, and in the end, he was a winner. You can't change it. He was a winner. Hardworking, man of the people, uh, and he was a winner. But he did it in a fantastic way. Eric, do you think that's why you touched upon there? You're saying he was a winner. Do you think that's why that era was particularly so successful? Because you had a team full of winners. 
I think it is. I think it's bred into you. I think that if you're going to be there, you're going to expect, you're expected to win. And I think that sometimes, even, you know, they might have had a hard time since you left in 2013. They've still won Europa's, they've won FA Cups, but there was also a style and a panache to the way they played. The good old days is where people would turn up. Man United were coming to town. Why? They wanted to go and see um, Mark Hughes playing up front. They wanted to see Kanchelskis. They wanted to see who's, who are these new young players? Skulls, Giggs, but You know, and they've had that for generations. And that's what, when Man United were coming to town, that's what people, that's why home games in the Premier League, they wanted Man United at the top because that's what people used to do. It was the style and the way they played. You know, you, you could, his last game probably summed him up. That's a good one. We could have done it on the chat box. What was the score in his last game? West Brom away was his last game, 2013. It's a draw off the top of my head. 5-0. Five 5-0. Five five I mean, it, it, you couldn't have wrote the script. Yeah. Well, 3-0 up. 3-1, 3-2, 4-2, 5-2, boom, 5-0. And at the end, remember, we, you know, we, that was him. Same farewell to the crowd. That was him, attacking football, played with style, played with flair, you know, and, and that really, that's what Man United is, and they're getting back to that now under Ollie, which is what I like to see. I think Ollie's doing, I think they've underestimated how well and how hard it was for Ollie to take over. Is, is there any player of this in, in Ollie's team that you could take and put into the team of sort of the class of 92 era? The boy Fernandez would definitely go in. Really? Signed. Oh, my word. I saw him at Derby um, when they played him in the Cup. And that was where Ollie again, he really did. He paid homage to the FA Cup. There was no weakened team. That was a team on a Thursday night that you went out and that, the, Bruno had only been, Bruno and I had only been there about five weeks. What a player. He would fit into any one of their midfield roles that they had there. Obviously, David would, David's still there, so he's part of it now. He's, what, nine years now coming up. Um, on that night, um, I think Rashford, when he's fully fit, I think he could have gone and played up alongside Rooney, no problem. Oh. I think Rashford would definitely have been in amongst the mix. Um, but that's the, that's the thing. It was where Oli is trying to rebuild now is the fact that you recognise the squad of players. You know, when I mentioned, by the time we got to January, I've just mentioned we had Ronaldo, we had Rooney, we had Tevez, then he went and signed Berbatov in the January. And we think... We just come back from the um, winning the World Cup club championship in Japan. Got back and you're thinking we're flying here. Calling Cup, bump, we're up the top. And then what does he do? Goes and buys Bermatov. I think unbelievable. You know, so you. I think Ryan Giggs when he took over, and he probably um, you might have heard this. Some of the coaches and the the goalkeepers listening, they'll remember this. Ryan Giggs used to say when he took over for I think six games, the hardest thing he had was. No mind name of the team was telling the people that weren't even going to be in the 18. That's the strength of this. Now that's the depth. That's what you want. That's what Man United created. They had a depth in a squad where, yeah, we'll play three. We'll play a 65 game season. Why? Because we're successful. And people can play in multi-positions. You know, Ronaldo could play all, all the way across the line. Uh, Giggs could play both sides. Giggs could drop into midfield. Giggs play left back. Patrice Evra could play as a wingback. You had so much versatility. And who was that down to again? Scouting systems, Sir Alex, this is what we need. This is what we need to get. So we delegate that straight away. Scouting department, this is what we're going to need. And you, you do, you look back on the, it was a squad of players that he had. 
So there was constantly competition. Everybody was always on their toes. They, they wanted to be. You had to get in the 18 before you got the 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Absolutely fantastic. Eric, I, I could sit and listen to the Man United stories for, for three hours, but we are going to take a question from Evo GK followers. That's okay? Go for it. Yeah, so thank you very much to Gareth Gregg from Derby. Uh, Gareth wants to know, Eric, uh, he says, kids rarely stop playing even at closed season. There are club events, tournaments, etc. Professionals take rest between seasons. So how long do you think they should rest? And is rest a positive thing that kids do not get enough of? Correct. He's uh, well done, Ben. As I'd expect, a good question from, I bet your dad, Gareth, helped you on that as well. Um, yeah, rest is a vital part, no matter what age you are. And I think Ben's at the age of, what, 10, 11? Um, we tend to think that they're like the batteries that can keep going, Duracell. Um, but no, rest is something at the moment, obviously we're going through uh, uncharted territory. Normally, seasons would finish in May. Players, top players at clubs would get four, four weeks off tops. And then come back at the moment, they've had eight weeks off and now they're hopefully going back at Premier League and Championship. Yeah. So that's, this is the, probably the uncharted territory in terms of planning a pre-season. There's a coach now, and I'll be dealing with coaches with the B licence, A licence. They're having to prepare now for a possible three-week, four-week pre-season, then get through to finish. And the top and then it will only be a three-week gap because the players do not need that long off after they've had this long break now, in answer to Ben, rest is important as well. At the young, whatever age you're at, as a young development goalkeeper, rest tends to be forgotten. Rest should be part of your discipline. So it's a really good question. And you know what happens? Kids want to do everything. They want to, they want to come to GK Evolution sessions. They might want to go and do um, Tom the AML. We'll go and do athletics. We'll go and do cricket at school, whatever. And I think they sometimes do forget. Two things I always say in answer to Ben's question is rest is important especially after event, and also your nutrition is vital as well. What you eat, what you drink is vital to what you do. So yes, get your rest aligned. Like I said before, then fluids have to be in within an hour of finishing training, finishing a game. Make sure you refuel, that's important. And if you talk to all the top nutritionists, Dominic, they always say the best recovery is sleep. So it's a good question, Ben, and I hope you do. Because if you want to be as good looking as your mum and dad, you're going to have to get that. <laughs> and, and thanks for sending in that question for Eric. Uh, Eric, you touched upon there, and it's something I've always sort of wondered. How important is it for kids not only to get the rest from football, but go off and try other sports? Oh, vital. I always, I get, I get worried when I get, um, when I was in at City, United, in fact, most clubs, Villa, Derby, they tend to come in and all they want to do is be goalkeepers. And especially when I get them at the 12, 13 years, the, the, youth, the foundation phase, the YDP, YDP phase, I tend to say, they've got to go and play other sports. Because what happens if football fails? You've got to go and experience other sports. You know, I did. When I was growing up in Newcastle, by the time I got to 18 and I, I was doing A-levels, I'd, I'd be playing anything with a ball. I'd play cricket, I'd play squash, badminton, not a ball, I know, but I'd try golf, um, I was doing all sports, swimming, boom. So I always encourage, and a lot of people do encourage young kids to do a lot of the martial arts, which I think is good in terms of physical contact, movement patterns, balance, anything that helps you, gives you that one, two, three percent. Um, the importance now has been proven as, you know, 
kids when they're going through growth spurts, they've got to be monitored. So there's a stretching program you should be doing when you're going through that. You need your coach to recognize that. So like, I've not done anything yet with the evolution goal co coaches, but that's something I should probably do next time we get together is to say, can you recognize when you see somebody who's having a growth spurt and all of a sudden that coordination changes. Now they need help on that. There's a time then when you, there's certain things they shouldn't be doing. So outputs, because you never know. They all help, they all help anyway. And I think they need a switch off. Um, goalkeeping can be intense. You know, if you're doing two sessions with James as coaches yourselves, it'd be nice just to switch off and not have that ball coming at you. So I think it's nice to go swimming or do athletics, whatever, and experience other sports, certainly. Yeah, and it's, it's brilliant what you touched upon. And I, I mean, we look back to the World Cup and, and people said with well, the corners uh, with Gareth uh, Southgate was he looked at American football for that and, and how they blocked it. And I think there's, there's loads of stuff psychologically, physically, technically that you can take from other sports that you could bring back into football as well. Yeah, it's nearly, Dominic, it's nearly always when I get to um, assessments, when I work with the FAIA license and I get the bottom and they've got the bring their portfolios. And you look at um, what's, what's, the, what's the way forward for the coach. I nearly always say, whatever you do, go and view other sports. Now, I'm lucky where I'm living here, I'm near Loughborough, where you have, you can go down there and the international badminton will be playing there, or the squash, or the rugby people will be there. St. George's now has got that. I used to go and take anything like that in because I knew then I could go and actually, I might pick up a warm up that might help me. Yeah. I might pick up, like you've just said, why did. Um, why did Gareth study uh, uh, rugby, rugby union? You know, got the, got the head on show. He went down, sat with him for an hour, talked to him. How do you do this in terms of when do you do it? That was the, it's, it was about when, where, and how. And all he was doing was picking the brains of event. What's his name? The um, rugby union coach for England? The Australian guy. Yeah, I know you mean. <sighs> yeah. Pardon? Is it the, um, oh, is it the guy that? Eddie Jones. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. It was on the tip of your tongue, James. Yeah. It was on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, that's what Gareth did. He went down and watched them work. And he said he, he enjoyed watching them work, but then he enjoyed listening to how he planned his week. Mm -hmm. So I think that, again, we can always take something. I'm back to it. You know, I've, I think I mentioned to somebody today about um, young goalkeepers are like sponges. That's what coaches should be. Not just when they're young, right through their career. We're never, ever too old, too young to learn. You know, I'm still now deliberately want to learn. I'll learn off other people. And I think that's the day that you stop doing that is the day you're going to limit yourself as a coach, as a person. And I think goalkeepers need, need that the same. Change of sports are really good for them. If, if uh, we talk about other sports then, Aaron, go on. If it wasn't football, what was your second? What's your second? If football's not available, what was your next go-to sport? I would have been, when I played, I played county cricket for Northumberland. Um... But then we were always minor counties. So I probably don't think I'd have got there. I was going to be a teacher. I was accepted at Loughborough before I signed for Newcastle. I was going to be a teacher, teach history and then and PE. And then Newcastle United came along at 18, offered me a pro contract. And the rest is history. I got the L I was needed and I was going to go to Loughborough. Got the got past the interviews, practical theory, got the air levels I needed. Um, but I was I've always been involved. I love tennis, I love playing tennis. Now, obviously, now am I? I'm, I'm, I'll enjoy my golf more than anything. That's yeah. um, <laughs> my switch off. I do. I can have. I can have the worst round of golf, and I'll still hit one ball, and I'll go. Do you know what? It was worth it. <laughs> it's, it's good for me. Um, 
and never as you get older, you do, you lose the swing and everything else. But I do, I enjoy watching all sports, but I also enjoy competing. Um, so I had a choice then when I was still at home. When I was 18, I remember my dad saying to me, bless his heart, he says, hey, you're going to have to pack something in here. He says, you've got girlfriend, you've got tennis, you've got cricket, and you've got them all levels to go for. Something's got to go. I said, okay, dad, I'll sort that out. Because <laughs> if you don't get your levels, he says, you will definitely, I'll make a decision for you. But that's what we're at. When we, you know, they don't do enough sport now in schools. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, I think, nowadays. They don't, if they don't get it, they've got to find it elsewhere. So certainly trying other sports is a great way ahead. Brilliant. And uh, final question, Eric, uh, just for all them young goalkeepers listening. What is the best advice you can give them to be the best they can be? Um, I think give yourself the best chance by being what I've just said. Be a sponge. Listen to parents. Parents are very, they are key. You should be involved. Once you start getting involved as a goalkeeper, want to improve. You need your coach. You need your, you need your parents. You need the right environment. But you've got to have the attitude that you always want to be a learner and listen. You know, you'll get it where you, you, you don't like to hear it from your dad, but then will you hear it from the coach? And I think you have to be, if you want to develop as a goalkeeper, you can study other goalkeepers now. You've got unbelievable now resources to see so I would be constantly ask questions as you're learning, as you're developing goalkeeper. If you're going to watch stuff online, on YouTube, whatever, if you see a save on YouTube, when you go into GK Evolution next, go and ask Lee or go and ask yourself, or ask one of the coaches, why, how did he get to that ball? Why did he make that decision? So be, be inquisitive, be a learner, be a listener, and enjoy what you do as well. Play the game with a smile on your face. Um, and GK Evolution, the coaches that you've got there now are doing a great job in terms of making sure that when you come in at an early age, a young age, it should be enjoyable. Then as you develop, GK Evolution now is in, in a position now where we know we can say, okay, when you get to 12, 13, we can start to help you on the tactical side. And if you stay with us till you're 14, 15, then we'll know what we can help you with set plays, how to defend free kicks, how to defend corners. And if you stay with us till you're 17, 18, Brilliant. Then bring your younger brother in when he's nine and we'll have him as well and we'll go through it all again. But you have to be a learner. You have to be a listener. And also, you have to, it, takes, it takes some commitment because you've got schoolwork, you've got your home life, and you, sometimes you will find that you've got to try and work out what's the best for you during a week. That's why you have to listen to your coach and listen to your parent at the same time. But enjoy it. God, blimey, playing sport. If I could take me back like Star Trek do, I would... Go back now, when I think about it, dear me, you know, I could I used, to, I used to have to be chased home because I would still be playing, doing stuff. We don't see enough of that at times. Play with a smile, play with enthusiasm, and then be prepared to listen and learn. Okay. Okay. Oh, you just, just quickly, you, you touched upon there about the, the parent and, and listen. How important for any coaches listening out there who are coaching grassroots clubs is it that you, the coach's relationship with the parent for the player? Yeah, it's, um, I call it the triangle. I've done it before with um, other, other companies I help and I've, I've spoke to James about it. Eventually what you should have is a triangle and that's what I said, you should be working whereby you don't want, you don't want to for it to work, coach, player, parent. They're all in together because ultimately as we do at GK Evolution, every time we finish a two day or a one day or event or it's a two hour event, we always make the kids clap because who took them there? Who got them there? Who's going to take them home? Who's going to put up with the sweaty bodies in the car? 
because they're not going to shower. Parents, parents have a huge commitment to their kids. And you, that's part of what I like when we go to the beacon of light is when you see the, the parents on the balcony as we finish and you see the smiles on their faces. And then I'll, I like to see reaction like James when he, that's when James is videoing is that you see the reaction of the kids when they go up to the parents. That's what culture, that's, that's, that's the, the reward we get when you see the smiles on the two faces. That's why I've always encouraged that, um, and I might be going off, off the track here, is that the importance of when they get in the car is don't use your mobile phones. You know, you actually, you should turn and say, so how was your day, Dad? How was your day, Mum? Or your granddad picks you up. You know, what did you do at the session? What did you learn today? And then, the, you know, the kids are going back, and that's the way we get the parents involved. And it's important, especially when, you know, it's a big commitment. When they've got to travel and wherever you've got the sessions, James, you've got your coaches. You know, the coaches have worked hard, prepared, and it's nice if we can involve the parents. And it's something that I think you should be proud of what you've done at GK Evolution, that you do involve the parents. Not just because it's the beacon of light and it's all, it's the big event. I know you're trying to do that wherever, wherever we're going to be. You know, it might be a horrible windy night somewhere and the pitch isn't so good, whatever. Come on, that's the test of the coach. That's where we're going to try to improve the coaches. We won't improve the goalkeepers till we improve the relationship with the, co the coaches and the parents. Well, Eric, it's been fantastic speaking with you, honestly. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the first ever Evo GK podcast. Uh, I'm sure, like everyone listening at home, um, we could hear Eric all day. Um, obviously, if you want to hear more from Eric, you'd be at the Double Coaching Day, James? Yeah, Double Coaching Day, hopefully, obviously, if everything's cleared, uh, 20th and the 21st of July with many other special guests as well um, alongside Eric. Fantastic. Yep. Looking forward to that. It'll be a good two, good two days and we've got a few guests coming along, which um, it'll just be nice to get back on grass or get back on Astro yeah. and see a ball. I'm deliberately now watching how they're handling it in Germany, how they're doing it. I'm in touch with coaches at EFL and Premier League how they're, when they're going to group coaching next week. But we'll be fine. We'll make sure the kids are safe, the parents are safe. I know, James, you and your coaches are going to go along and watch events. That's what we'll do. By the time we get to July 2021, we'll have a fair idea mm -hmm. of some of the, the actual standards that we're going to have to adhere to. Um, but ultimately, you know, we'll be prepared as GK Evolution to welcome you all back and give you a great two days. That's absolutely fantastic. Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Thank you for everyone who listened at home. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as, as we did. Uh, there was something there for everyone there. There was, there, was, there was fan stories. There was stories and experience of players and coaches. Eric, thanks once again. And to everyone else, stay safe and we'll catch you later. Cheers. What a Thank you for listening to the Evo GK Podcast. With your host, James Howarth and Dominic Bailey. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Evolve with evolution. Thank <laughs> you.